Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, this is Gillian Tavor back with a report from day two and day three of the ICEL conference. This is the International Canine and Equine Locomotion Conference, which um, might be of interest to you guys. And actually, if you were to look at the show notes, there'll be a link towards the abstracts that will give you uh, more detail about the presentations that I'm going to summarise for you. So the great thing about these research conferences is that uh, you get to listen to some amazing keynote speakers. And on the second day, we started with Dr. Emma Hodson-Toll, who is actually, she comes from sort of equine background, but she now works in uh, human research. And she's looking at the use of EMG to measure the relationship between sort of neural and musculoskeletal integrity. So she was talking about diseases that relate to muscle changes and how she can use EMG to measure it. And she was looking at pathology and involuntary motor unit contractions, and this idea of the motor variability, which is the coordination and the timing and the strength um, all related together and how this impacts postural control and locomotion. Now we do use EMG in horses and so the following presentations actually were ones relating to the use of it. 
Uh, one of them that came up, which interests me greatly, is the fact that they've compared how to prepare the skin for using EMG on horses. So EMG uses electrodes that have to stick to the skin to measure the activity, the electrical activity to actually evaluate how the muscle is working underneath the skin. And you can imagine in humans that this actually doesn't propose, doesn't present too many challenges. There aren't um, hugely hairy people. And if there are, then you can just shave the skin and then you clean it with sort of alcohol and make sure that there is really good contact with the electrodes. But of course, with horses, we have the challenge that we have hair um, and also we have thicker skin. So although I work for Hartbury University and we have access to EMG systems they're not used that regularly because of the challenges with getting good signals through the hair coat from the muscles into the into the EMG systems uh, anyway back to the study that actually measured how to prepare the skin and they said yes you do need to shave and clean the skin but uh, you don't need to oh sorry I should say you need to clip and clean the skin but you don't need to use a razor to shave the skin which is um, something that is going to be helping us on a practical level. So the research that talked about the use of EMG, uh, there was one that talked about the EMG of canter and they had horses on a treadmill at uh, similar speeds but with a decline level and then two amounts of incline and they found actually that the number of strides per second goes up when you increase the uh, the actual angle of the hill up to eight percent and the muscles of the hindquarters the gluteus medius the biceps femoris and the semitendinosus which were measured by emg all increased by 50 percent their amount of work when the hill went up to eight percent so the conclusion of this is if you want to work up a hill then actually you need to work at eight percent rather than something about four percent um, so that adds to our knowledge of how muscles work up a hill. And then we had a presentation from uh, Dr. Lindsay St. George, and she was talking about the differences between EMG in lame horses and non-lame horses. And what was good about this study is that it, she had them related to horses that had induced lameness. So they weren't sort of mixed lamenesses. They weren't um, undiagnosed lamenesses. They were very, very clear patterns of kinematics because of the induced lameness. Uh, and she was looking to see whether she could identify which muscles worked harder or perhaps worked less comparisons between left and right sides uh, for the compensation patterns and related those to those kinematic parameters that I've spoken about before the min diffs and the max diffs of the pelvis and the withers and there were some changes and they there's no benefit for me sort of reporting what they are here but just showing that it is worth going into more studies to look at the muscular activity patterns when you've got lamenesses so I like that and I'm looking forward to seeing what she comes up with with her um, further studies. There was a study that looked at EMG of the main back muscle and um, looked to see whether it was different whether the horse was on a straight line or when it was on the inside of the circle or the outside of the circle. Now we've had previous research that showed that the longissimus dorsi which is the main back muscle was more active when it was on the inside of the circle which um, was the same as this but this study said that the longissimus dorsi activity was higher on a straight line. 
However, the differences were trivial in size. So whether or not it was clinically relevant, we don't know. Um, there was an increase of this muscle activity when the hind limbs were pushing off. Now we do know that it has a stability role. So it creates, and I'm going to use the word stiffness, but it holds the spine to allow the force to be generated um, and carried from the hindquarters through into motion of the forehand. Um, so it does work harder during push-off. So it is reasonable to suggest that the more effort that you put into pushing off the ground, then the harder the longissimus dorsi works. So that was sort of my clinical application from this. But again, you know, more research is needed into the different situations and with a much higher group of horses. We then had a nice study from a colleague of mine at Heartbury, Christy, uh, Christy Maddock, and she was looking at what we um, colloquially call hock wobble. Now, technically, this is a medial lateral displacement of the, um, the point of the hock. Uh, now, I was involved in this study, so as a co-author of it, it's a little bit biased, I'm quite excited about it. So it's basically when you look at a horse and it's walking away from you and during the stance phase, so when the foot is on the ground, you see uh, a movement of the whole leg and it rotates. So you see the hock move from the inside to the outside. And what she found in her study is those that had a a hock wobble had a reduced muscle development on the opposite side. Uh, I was the one that actually graded the muscle development, but I was blinded to whether or not that particular horse had this displacement or the extent of it. So it's quite nice that she shows a relationship between sides. And uh, this sort of links quite a lot to our human gait analysis with regards to um, issues sort of around the pelvis and stability and control around the sort of limb and back movements related to muscle strength. So I really, really like that one. Um, we then had a, a study talking about the differences between two particular types of horses. Um, one was cold blood, uh, Franche Montagne, <laughs> I probably didn't pronounce that well, versus the Swiss warm blood. And it showed that with IMUs, it was quite clear that you could see differences between the stride length, the speed, the amount of protraction and the amount of suspension between those horses. And following on from this, there was another study looking at seven European breeds, uh, no, 888 different horses and they could quite clearly see conformational traits between the different breeds and joint angles uh, and postures so that was one that I'm going to follow up and look to see whether that publishes in a full paper because that's my topic area that I'm interested in. And then before the break, we then had another discussion, another presentation rather by Dr. Hilary Clayton. Uh, and this one was a good one. It was looking at the amount of trunk lean uh, on horses that were cantering on a circle, either whether they were in the correct canter lead, i.e. true canter. The, so if you're traveling right, right canter lead or whether they were in counter canter. Uh, it was no surprise that they measured the fact that there was more trunk lean when horses were in counter canter. But interestingly, there was a lot less roll of the body when the horse was ridden in either counter canter or a true canter compared with previous research uh, when the horse was on the lunge and it differed by 20 degrees. So basically a ridden dressage horse is much more vertical than a horse that's on the lunge. So that has implications for training, for rehab uh, and also for further research. You know, is it comparable with a horse on the lunge compared with when they're ridden? 
We go on to a few studies looking more about um, motion segments and movements. Um, and, you know, there's some introductory studies, what we call pilot studies, where they've had re- quite low numbers, but interesting findings that you could potentially take forward into future research. Uh, one by um, one of the ladies that works at Utrecht looked at back motion in walk and showed that it was largely largely passive. So there was a larger lateral bend in walk um, than in trot, although there was more flexion and extension in trot than walk. But overall, there was more thoracic movement in walk than trot. So you have to break down the areas of the back when you're looking at the regions of movement. um, And when you relate that to muscle activity, there's less muscle activity in walk compared with trot. So uh, that has, again, implications for our rehab and for training and progressing work. So I like uh, I like that research. So I'm obviously biased because this is all of interest to me. We've then got more um, research using IMUs. Um, there was a study suggesting that when a horse, uh, a racehorse has a movement asymmetry because of its racing and training direction, um, there is a link to say that there were more left four asymmetries in Hong Kong jockey horses club horses uh, which go round to the right so clockwise um, and then comparing that to horses in Singapore that go anti-clockwise there was more right hind and right for asymmetries so is there an effect of loading when you go round one particular circle now anecdotally we know that direction would have an effect on it but now we've got some research to say that yeah there really is some Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Um, there was lots of short presentations, literally two minutes on and off the stage, and I'll leave those because you can read those in the abstracts. But um, if you, an advice for when you're reading an abstract book, you know, don't read it from cover to cover. Pick the titles that you like, and then go down and uh, read more information about them. After lunch, we had a really fascinating presentation by a researcher who looks at dog biomechanics he's called martin fisher you may know him if you're uh, sort of in my profession because he's produced a beautiful book called dog locomotion and he's certainly worth looking up on youtube he's got lots of free information so he was looking at sort of scapular rotation uh, and comparing it between different breeds of dogs and even between shetlands and looking at the pivot points of the hip and the scapulas so when we're thinking about biomechanics studies then it helps us actually 
um, identify where motion is coming from. But he had some most beautiful 3D CD, CT images and could compare that to kinematics. He can compare it to pressure measurements through um, the sort of kinetic assessment. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely look on YouTube for Martin Fisher, uh, F-I-S-C-H-E-R uh, for dog locomotion videos. Following that, there was a brilliant study um, that actually, um, excuse me, <clears throat> um, was right in my ballpark. Although it was looking at chiropractic treatment, it was looking for outcomes of that treating skeletal pain in horses. They tried so well with the study. They had blinded observers. They had measurements at naught, two and four weeks. They treated the horses um, as indicated uh, once a week for four weeks. They used objective measurements. They used pressure algometry. Um, they used uh, lameness locator, subjective lameness scoring, as well as looking pain at pain, stiffness and muscle hypertrophy in the back. Uh, and unfortunately, they only found very small changes in a few of those markers. So there were mixed effects. And to be honest, you can't really come away from that saying, oh, yeah, the chiro treatment had a massive effect. However, in support of these authors, it is incredibly difficult to actually generate a, a decent methodology and standardise all those external variables when it comes to the treatment. So although it didn't show massive improvements, it didn't show any worsening. Um, and um, yeah, the, the author came up to me and spoke to me afterwards because I'd asked them a question about clinical effect sizes. And so she was going to go and have another look at her data to see uh, what the outcomes were were. Now moving on to a presentation about racing performance and kissing spines. This next study was yeah an interesting one and I'm going to talk through how we can interpret conclusions when it comes to looking at sort of black and white results on paper. So Large population, 259 national hunt horses in Ireland and retrospectively they had their thoracolumbar radiographs that x-rayed, uh, analysed by five independent observers who were blinded to the horse and its performance level. These observers scored the kissing spines effectively, whether it was, there was no symptoms, uh, sorry, there was no clinical signs of it, whether it was mild or severe at each uh, intervertebral gap in the thoracic region. The results were that only two of the 259 horses had no pathology um, and the range of pathology went between, on a scale of 0 to 2, between 0 and 1.37. When they related these scores to earnings and performance, um, performance ratings, there was no relationship. There was no sex difference. And so the conclusion were, were that the changes uh, between the dorsal spinous processes were not correlated with a reduced performance. However, if you took that, as it said, you'd say, oh, it was fine that these horses had kissing spines. But my argument or my discussion is that could they have earned more money and been uh, better performers if they didn't have kissing spines? And also from a clinical history point of view, did they have pain or were they one of these uh, type of horses that had kissing spines with no pain? And also, were they being treated? We did not know whether these horses were actually being medicated for their kissing spines. So, 
yeah, it's interesting in um, black and white to read it, but I wouldn't want people to take this in the wrong way to say, oh, it's absolutely fine. These horses had kissing spines and they were still racing because we don't know their pain. And, you know, it could it be that when the horses were in the racing situation, they were, you know, in that um, high arousal state, a lot of adrenaline um, and, you know, not feeling it during the racing, but did they have pain in between times? Another sort of consideration for me is that these horses had kissing spines, but they were only, I shouldn't say only, but they were galloping and jumping. They weren't necessarily actually um, performing dressage movements or collected uh, canter for show jumping, for instance. So there was a high, well, in this group, there were they all had pretty much all had kissing spines but they were all race horses um, and I do wonder what was going to happen to these horses when they were coming out of training uh, you know and that is the concern that I have um, and then one last one that I was interested in it was looking at the walk characteristics of horses in trot um, because they have a, a whole host of horses that have been diagnosed with lamenesses and they've got data for them before and after nerve blocking from uh, objective measurement stance so they use the colysis system so the gold standard in movement analysis and they were looking at whether there were any differences in the walk could the walk movement predict whether the horses were lame um, and there are only small differences uh, in the walk in horses that were moderately lame. So actually looking at upper body movement, it might not be an optimal measure for checking out walk characteristics. They did have 22 horses in there, but they were saying that they need to analyse more horses to see whether or not there was you know, any trends between lamenesses and walk patterns. I certainly think I see changes in walk in horses that are lame, but, you know, is that sort of observer bias because I know they're lame? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, and then moving on to the third day. So we moved out to the Utrecht uh, vet school and we got to see their amazing facilities. So it beats trotting horses up in a lane or on the grass in Devon. They have indoor trot ups, huge areas, you know, 50 meters long on a hard surface. And then right next door, they have an indoor arena. Uh, they have permanent 3D motion capture. So every day they have technicians that go and um, actually uh, check it out and make sure that it is working and it is valid and then the vets are able to work with the systems that give them instantaneous results. They put markers on all the horses that arrive there for lameness workups. Uh, they leave the markers on when they do nerve blocks and die more diagnostics and um, it really is you know gold standard in gait analysis. So my first session on the third day was looking at all the systems for equine kinematic analysis. So it was a sort of round robin. I started off looking at Equigate. Tilo Fau actually presented it. So he is the one that sort of designed and developed the software that uses these IMUs for analysis. Uh, and we had really good discussions about what they can do, what their limitations are. And he did a demo of it for us. Then we moved on to a new system that I hadn't seen before. It's called uh, Equimoves. Uh, they pronounce it Equimoves. It might have been 
you might have been familiar with it. It was called uh, Eki Pro before. Now this system is very, very cool. Uh, I wish I had the budget to buy one. It has not only upper body movement sensors, but it also has sensors on the limbs. So it can tell us about protraction and retraction. It can tell us about stance time, swing time. It can also tell us about the amount of uh, movement of the leg in the abduction, adduction, so internal and um, sort of moving it under the body and out of the body. So you could imagine you could have this on a horse while it was doing lateral movements. So if we were to compare half pass to the left or to the right, it would actually, um, you know, it could count that and measure that for us. So I was excited about that. We then moved to look at the uh, Slipe or Slape app and that one um, I'm very familiar with it I have that in my practice uh, but it was really nice to see the guys that uh, develop it so that's Ellen Ellen Han and Hernland, sorry, and uh, I think we pronounce it um, Achia Hardman. Um, and those are the guys that have actually taken this AI tech and given it to us in an app. Um, very, very incredible. So um, I'm biased about that one because I use that in my practice and very simple to use. And it gives us uh, Mindifs and MacDifs with the pelvis and the head and uh, links really nicely to my scope of practice. If I see a horse that's uh, uh, looking um, uncomfortable and actually has these asymmetries then I know that that isn't a physio problem that needs to go to the vet but also I'm looking at it from a routine mon maintenance uh, monitoring point of view. Then after that we fi finished up with the gold standard of looking at the uh, kinematic analysis using Qualysis which they have got I think it was 18 or 20 cameras set up around the edge of the room permanently it's all calibrated as I said and what's um, you know, very cool about it is that they use that in normal clinical practice. And it got me thinking, if I had a lameness in any of my horses, I think I would um, continue to go to my vets that use objective motion analysis to compare you know, before and after nerve blocks or on different surfaces so that um, we really can get a true reflection of what's going on in the horse, not what we think is going on. So we had lunch and then we moved on to the session that I looked at was um, looking at, oh, what did we look at? Um, oh, actually, no, I, this is why I'm confused. I didn't go to a second session. I was preparing my lecture for the second day. I used that time. But then afterwards, the third session, I went to look at canine gait analysis. And this was presented by a vet from Austria, um, Barbara Buchstahler. And she had in the room a pressure plate and she was demonstrating how she was analysing canine lameness with this pressure plate system. And really simple to use, came out with lots of very useful information. Obviously, if you uh, present your horse dog across it properly, uh, but it um, it sort of made me a little bit jealous because I unfortunately don't have the opportunity to work with either force plates or pressure plates. But it is something that I'm going to be looking into because I, I think we could do a whole lot of research relating to physio and movement asymmetries and pain if we've got access to certainly pressure plates, which financially a little bit more affordable than putting in equine force plates, which I don't have access to. 
So that was a roundup from day two and day three of ICEL, both the research presentations and the workshops. And it actually overlapped with another conference called Locomotion in Practice, which was more sort of clinical application. And I will cover that in a, another podcast just to give you some information about the sort of gold nuggets that I came away with. So thank you very much for listening. And as ever, if you have any questions, then please do get in touch. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.